Have you ever had a conversation with someone where you knew things were gonna change in a real big way real soon? If you do that, you know that you're gonna talk about the most important things that are on your heart as well as you're gonna measure your words very carefully. Kim and I had one of those conversations with each of our daughters before they got married. A week or two before they all got married, we sat down with each one of them and we said, you know what, things are gonna change pretty soon. You're leaving the house, you're gonna go out, you're gonna form a new family. And so our question to each one of them was, was there any way that we've hurt you that has not been resolved yet? And during those times we had discussions about things, because uh, we wanted to make sure they went out clean and were free to just move on with life without necessarily a lot of baggage from mom and dad to hold on to as they go into the new marriage. So that was a very big conversation for us. We knew things were gonna change, we knew this was important to talk about. Well, things are about to change in a big way for me in Moraine Valley Church, not long from now. And for years, I've really thought through what would be the last series that I preach to Moraine Valley when I get a chance to think about. I wanna pick the words that are most important and the things I wanna measure what I say because I think it's, it's crucial. I'm already kinda of making notes about my last message and what I'll say there. So when I got done, I landed with the upper room discourse because those were Jesus' last words to his disciples because things were gonna change in a big way real soon. He was gonna to go to the cross and then back to the Father. And I've always had a conviction that Jesus' words and heart are much better and more important than my words and heart. So a lot of things that I had that I say, hey, I ought to say this, I'd love to say that, I ought to go there, have been put to the side because I believe that what Jesus said to his followers are what are most essential for people to know when things are ready to change in a big way. So the Upper Room Discourse this summer is gonna be our series. And the context we find in John 13, if you wanna turn there in your Bibles, it was just 15 hours before Jesus was gonna to go to the cross. The Passover meal usually happened at 6 p.m. the night before, and Jesus wanted to have this meal with his followers, and they got together for his last meals and his last words to them. It starts like this in chapter 13, verses one to four. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come that he would depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were, with, with, were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God, 
and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. And then three major things happened during this time. First of all, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. He was giving them an example and a picture for them to follow on how they should serve one another. And then we see during this time another key event, and that's the time when Judas left. Jesus uh, uh, predicted the betrayal. Judas, Judas left to begin that. And then finally, Jesus gave them a new commandment, a commandment to love one another just as Jesus had loved them. And that brings us to really the theme of today's message, the theme of the Upper Room Discourse. It's really that which was the backdrop and the driver of all the discussion we're gonna talk about this summer. So it's important for us to understand this theme that Jesus kept coming back to over and over again that really drove the discussion that he was gonna have with his followers. And one thing we'll learn is that his followers didn't quite understand what he was saying and often misunderstood and kept asking questions. Jesus, what do you mean about this? So if you have your Bibles, we're going down to verse 33 of John 13, especially those that just got your Bibles. If you're with us in the service, maybe your parents can help you find that place. But uh, we're going to be in John chapter 13, verse 33 where this theme that we see that Jesus is returning to the Father. He tells his followers right then that he is gonna leave for the Father. Now here's an interesting thing. In the midst of telling them this is the new commandment, he gives them the new commandment about loving one another. Now we spend a lot of time, and we should, in the importance of loving one another that we see in the New Testament. And when Jesus brought this out, but you know, so you're going to see something flew right over their heads. They didn't, even, they didn't even care what Jesus said about that because what he said beforehand about the fact that he's leaving them, that grabbed their attention. Everything else, they forget that. Where, where are you going, Jesus? What do you mean you're leaving us? And so uh, watch this as we start in verse 33 of John 13. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And I, I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, when you read back in John, you'll see there were two earlier situations where Jesus had told the Jews the exact same words. He told them, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, the assumption that the uh, Jewish non-believers assumed was first, the first time he said, well, he must be going to the dispersion among the Greeks. The second time when he said, again, they said, he's probably going to kill himself. And so they were reasoning, trying to figure out, well, what does he mean by this? And even his followers, when he said it, weren't quite sure what Jesus meant. So here Jesus is telling his followers now the same thing he told the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. Then he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, 
if you have love for one another. Notice Simon Peter's response. Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? You see, new commandment, that, that flew right over their heads. You just told us you're leaving us, Jesus. Where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life? Truly, truly, I said to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Let me do a quick sidebar on that. Uh, we know about the denial of Peter. We, we've read about that. The commitment and the love, no greater love has anyone than this than to lay down their life for a friend. Here's Peter, Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you. He was committed, he loved Jesus, he meant it, he was sincere. But the lesson that we need to learn is the humility that we learn in this passage is we know that Peter did fall and he fell away from Jesus and he denied him three times. Why is that? Simple little lesson we gotta follow in our minds. These are my two or three minute sermons I'll never get to preach, so I'm gonna do them now. So uh, keep this note. Later on, Jesus said this, when he explained this, the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will scatter. When the sheep cannot stand without the shepherd. Mike talked about it last week. We saw how say kindly how dumb sheep are, <laughs> how helpless they are, how prone to wander they are, how much they'll get in trouble and defeated by the enemy. If it isn't for the, the quality of a sheep is directly related to the quality of their shepherd. And we need to remember this. You see, so many people in churches are pushing for greater commitments and greater love for Jesus. What I want to push you to is the presence of Jesus in your life that will produce greater commitment and greater love that won't fail. And what happened is, is Peter thought that I, in my own strength, in my own commitment, in my own love, I will stand for you, Jesus. But Jesus said, when the shepherd's taken off the scene, the sheep scatter. I just want to encourage you as believers. Many of us know Jesus. Many of us have Jesus living in our hearts, but he's not at the center of our life. And many times he's not in the center of our thinking. He's not in the center of our decisions. He's not in the center of our conversations. And what happens is, is when Jesus, while he's there, he's pushed in a corner of our lives and we're running our own lives. Without Jesus at the center of our life, we too will fall. No matter how sincere your commitments get in response to a Sunday morning sermon, or even a quiet time you have, or how much you love Jesus. Our ability to stand is solely dependent upon Jesus' ability to keep us standing. And so Peter denied the Lord because he thought it all came from his commitments and love. And so now we move on from here, and we see that Jesus tells them exactly where he's going. Because he said, hey, I'm going. Didn't tell them where, he just said, I'm going. And in chapter 14, he tells him exactly where he's going. Starting in verse 
1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you so. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And as the story goes on, we know, you know, tell Lord, we, we, we don't even know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Nobody can come to the Father but through me. Jesus is telling them straight out, I'm going back to the Father. I'm going to the Father's house. And while I'm there, I'm going to be preparing a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and get you again and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Let me uh, just slip over to chapter 16 real quick because we're going to see repeated references to Jesus leaving in this section. But in chapter 16, verse 28, this is the final reference before he moves into prayer where he tells them, and he kindly says it clearly, and the guys say, oh, now we understand. Verse 28, Jesus said this, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. That's the incarnation, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus was ever at the throne of the Father, and here he is, he came from the Father and he came into the world. That's the incarnation. I'm leaving the world again and going to the Father. That's the ascension. And so we see in this verse both the incarnation of Jesus coming from the presence of the Father in heaven into this world. And now he says, and now I'm going to leave this world again and go back to be with the Father. And so Jesus tells him very clearly here at the end where he's going is he's going back to the Father. He's going back to where the Father is. Now look at back at verse 3 again in chapter 14. I want to make an important distinction. Verse 3 of 14. If, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. This is an important distinction I want you to watch real close. That, that's what the rapture is. Remember 1 Thessalonians? I put it on the screen here, 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, what does Jesus say? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Jesus coming back to receive his people to himself so that they can always be with him. 
That's what the rapture is. That's what John 14 says. I'm going to come again, receive myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, here's an important distinction I want you to watch for closely. The, the observation is so important when we look at the Bible, because some people try to interpret this verse as to referring to the coming of the Holy Spirit into the believer's life, which Jesus talks about a little further on in this discourse. But you need to understand this distinction. Look, look, at, uh, look over at chapter 14, verse 16. Chapter 14, verse 16. This is talking about when the Holy Spirit's gonna come to us. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. We're going to talk about this in two weeks, actually, and we're going to open up that passage a little bit further. But I want you to notice this. The Holy Spirit is sent to be with us where we are here on earth while Jesus is away. John 14 is talking about Jesus coming back so that we can be where he is in the Father's house. This is an important distinction because you can misunderstand this whole upper room discourse if you say, well, this, this has to do with the coming of the Holy Spirit. This has to do with Jesus going back to the Father, preparing a place for us, coming back in the future and receiving us to himself so that we can be with him always. This is about us being with him. The Holy Spirit coming to us is about him being with us while we're on earth, while he's back with the Father. And so we see here this very important truth that Jesus is going back to the Father. He's preparing a place for you and me and he's going to come back again and receive us to himself so we can be with him. Now this theme is repeated over and over and over again in the Upper Room Discourse. Let me just show you again. Look, you're in chapter 14, look at verse 18. We just looked at that, I think. Let me look again at that. Right after what we just read, he said, I'll not leave you as orphans, I'll come to you. So Jesus is telling him here, you know, he's going to send them the Holy Spirit so that they won't be left alone there is this time as orphans, but the Holy Spirit of God is going to be with them. Again, we'll look at that in a couple weeks. Look at verse 28 of chapter 14. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced. Because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Jesus said, if you understood what I was saying, you'd be rejoicing for me uh, that I'm leaving because I'm going back to the Father. But instead we see in, turn to chapter 16, verse 5 during this time, they weren't rejoicing about this. They were very sorrowful with the news that Jesus was leaving. Chapter 16, verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. 
But because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. So you get the feel. Here's the disciples, man. They're, they're full of sorrow. Jesus, where are you going, Jesus? You know, kind of feeling all alone here. Well, no, 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 no. You, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit with you. You're going to be okay. He's going to be the helper. He's going to be with you in this time. Then you go down to verse 7, the same, and he says this. I'm going to tell you something. It's actually to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When you read the scripture, we go back in John where Jesus said that out of the innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He said, well, I'm referring to the spirit whom those will receive, but they haven't received them yet until he goes back. To the, it's at the ascension where Jesus goes to the right hand of the father, receives the spirit and sends it to his people. And so what Jesus is saying, this is to your advantage that I'm leaving, guys. I, I, you feel like an orphan? You're sad right now. You're discouraged. You're confused. You're not even understanding all this. But you need to understand this. It's to your advantage that I leave because I'm going to send the helper to you. Again, we'll look at that in a few weeks. Then look at verses 17 of chapter 16. You see, they still were lost. What in the world is he talking about? Verse 17, some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing he's telling us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They, they, all this stuff, just they're lost. They heard it, but not comprehending it. So they were saying, what is this? He says, a little while. We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, are you deliberating together about this that I said a little while, and you will not see me? And again, a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. He's talking about the cross of Christ. <laughs> You know, you're not gonna, you know, a little while here, the rest of the world's gonna be rejoicing because Jesus has been crucified. But you're gonna be weeping and lamenting and grieving and full of sorrow. Then he says this Whenever a woman, moms who've delivered children understand this, whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of a child has been born into the world. The joy overwhelms the pain. And what stays with them is the joy. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. Again, as we read through this section, we're going to see Jesus speaking about his death and resurrection here. And we see that when Jesus dies, the great sorrow and discouragement that filled the disciples, but when he rose again, and some of the truths we're going to learn in that season of life. And then we come back to verse 28, where Jesus finally says to them, guys, I came from the Father and have come into the world I'm leaving the world again, going to the Father. 
So he clarified. Then, the, oh, now we get it. Now he's speaking plain. He's not speaking figures of speech. And Jesus says, do you really understand? <laughs> Boy, they, they maybe understood a little bit more, but they certainly didn't get this thing fully surrounded. All they knew is that Jesus had told them, I'm leaving, I'm gonna come again. We see that ultimately he's talking about leaving them out of this world, going back to the Father during that time, which happens to be the time we're living in right now. He's preparing a place for them and for you and me who are believers. And then he's gonna come back at some time and receive us to himself. That where he is, we might be with him forever. Now, I want you to understand the importance of this. The reason I want to say this is this. The words of the upper room discourse is that conversation that Jesus had with his followers because he knew things were going to change in a big way. Yes, we know that before he ascended, he gave us the mission. But at this last dinner with his disciples, his last supper, when he was having this conversation with them, these are the things he said, guys, these are the important things. These are the essential things you need to know because this is my last chance to talk to you. I want to make sure I talk about the most important things. Make sure you don't lose these things. Make sure you hang on to them. Make sure you know these things. But these are the things that are going to carry you through the time while I am gone. And so the words of the upper room discourse, as I said, Jesus' words and thoughts and heart before he leaves are so much more important than my words and thoughts before I leave. So I put my thoughts to the side and I want to focus on what Jesus says is most important because we're living in that season and these truths are the truths that are designed to carry us until Jesus returns. And we're going to unfold that this summer. And I'm excited to share some of these messages with Don, our new senior pastor, as we go through this series. But it was during this meal that communion was established. Remember? It was during this upper room discourse, this last discussion that Jesus had with his followers. Turn to Luke 22. Because we're going to see again this same meal, but Luke's going to emphasize something different that was said during this time. And so, you know, each, as you bring the four Gospels together, you get the different, you know, each one had different purposes, grabbed different things, communicated different aspects of it. It's not contradictory, it's completing and fulfilling more of what the scripture tells us about that time. And Luke records some of what was said during that time in verse 14. Same meal. And he says this, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall... No, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. 
Jesus tells them something very important here. He's sharing this meal with them, but he's not going to do it again until he comes back, receives them to himself, and they share the meal again in the kingdom of God. Now, we share this week by week, and we know that Jesus also said that he established this as a reminder of the blood of his covenant, the new covenant he shed for the forgiveness of sins, and that we look back and we're reminded of what Jesus did in, in um, just, uh, I can't remember the word, that's what happens, you get six months away from the covenant series, can't remember what the word is, but when he ratified the covenant, on the cross for us with his shed blood. But I want you to notice this. He says, look back verse 16. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it, what the bread of communion, until it is fulfilled in the king. Fulfilled. Do you realize that communion is not just a look back where we remember but it's a look forward with anticipation to that time when Jesus and we are gonna eat that meal together. So communion in many ways is a picture of what's yet to come. While it's a picture of what's happened in the past and we remember, it's also a picture for us to look forward to, something yet to be fulfilled. Communion still has got a complete fulfillment of it, and that's when we take it with Jesus in the kingdom. You see, this came out of the Passover meal, communion, right? So was it the Passover meal? The Passover meal was designed as a remembrance of their exodus out of the bondage of Egypt. Well, communion, Jesus, in many ways designed as a commemoration and remembrance of our exodus because of his cross out of the bondage and the penalty to sin. And guess what the future meal is gonna be in the kingdom? That's gonna be a celebration of our exodus, not just from the penalty and power of sin, but from the presence of sin as we're sitting in the kingdom. That's yet to be fulfilled. And you know, Paul calls this the blessed hope in Titus. This is the blessed hope of believers. This is what we're looking forward to. If I was thinking about it yesterday, you know, I'm not the most creative guy in the world, but once in a while, God gives me something. This is the goat hope. What's the goat, the greatest of all time, right? What's the greatest of all time hope? It's the return of Jesus. It's the blessed hope. That's the thing we look forward to. That's when everything's gonna change like never before. It's a greater hope than being the president of the United States, if that's your big dream, or to be whatever your biggest dream is, or the best basketball player, or the best whatever. The greatest hope of all time, the GOAT hope, is the return of Jesus. Remember what he says in Titus? He starts about this, and this is what he says, it's about the grace of God. I'll try to quote it, see if I don't mess it up too bad. But for the grace of God has appeared to us, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts 
and to live righteously and soberly in this present age. So that's what God's grace does. It brings us salvation, but it also sanctifies us. It makes us holy. It delivers us from the hold that the world has on us and drives us bigger into Jesus, okay? That's what God's grace does. But here's the other thing he says. Looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ. You hear that? He's not just our Savior, he's our God. Jesus is God. The blessed hope is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what God's grace works in a person's heart. He brings us salvation from the penalty of sin in the past. He works his grace within us right now to deliver us from the power of sin in the present. And his grace builds in us that anticipation of the future won't be removed from the presence of sin. That's what God's grace does. So this is my question for you as we go to communion this morning. How's God's grace working in your heart in these areas? Communion is for believers. If you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to come up, talk to one of the people in front afterwards, talk to myself. There's no more important thing in your life than coming to know Jesus. But communion's for us who know Christ. It's a family, it's a family affair where we come and we remember the past, the present, the future as we're seeing. But um, so my question is this, for you believers, we're grateful for God's grace in the past. How's God's grace operating in your present life? Do you find yourself do you find yourself beginning to deny ungodliness more and the worldly desires? Are you finding that God's grace is operating your life, making the world less and less important to you and living soberly and righteously in this present age, right now in this crazy world? Are you finding yourself walking deeper with Jesus in the midst of That's what God's grace is designed to do. And if that's not happening, it's pretty unlikely you're looking forward to the blessed hope of Jesus return because your heart is so caught up no real look forward to the future. So I gotta ask you this morning, no real look forward to the future. So I gotta ask you this morning, how's God's grace operating in your heart? If you really aren't looking forward with anticipation and excitement for this, it's because you're all wrapped up in this right here and now. And if you're wrapped up this here and now, you need to realize it's the good shepherd of your soul, Jesus, that will deliver you from that. He's the one who'll deliver you from the power of sin. He's the one who'll keep you standing. And this morning, I wanna encourage you as we go to communion, examine your heart, examine your life. Am I finding that I'm caught up in this world? Then I encourage you to confess it to Jesus. Ask him to work in your heart. If you have no desire, maybe you're here and that's working, but you're not really excited and anticipating and looking forward to the blessed hope of the return of our great God and Savior, Jesus. I encourage you to invite Jesus to work there. But if you don't have the elements, would you please raise your hand? We'll have some ushers ready. Put your hand up real high so they can see that. They'll bring you an element. 
That's what I want you to think about today. How, how are you related to Jesus right now as we consider communion? Communion. 